0: This is the Life Church Podcast. Hey guys, um, <clears throat> have this in your seats. Sorry. It's our project guide for 2019. We're not going to talk about it here this morning. All I want you to do is this is sincerely all we're asking you to do is take this guide and go home and put it somewhere where you'll see it, you'll recognize it, you'll remember it. And this is what I'm asking you to do over the next month because we'll, next month we'll be talking about Kingdom Builders 2019. And what I would like you to do for the next basically 30 days is simply say, Lord, simple prayer, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's my part in Kingdom Builders in 2019, okay? And it's asking God basically, how do you want me to sacrifice in 2019? So asking you to take that, read through it. Uh, If you have questions, we'd be happy to answer any questions you might have, so encourage you to do that. All right, well, good morning. You are doing well this morning? Okay, one person's doing really well, the other person's like, eh. So we're kicking off a Christmas series today, the best gift ever, and uh, we're going to be looking at it starting out of the Gospel of John, which is kind of a unique way of doing it. It's not typically the, the Gospel you go to when you start looking at the Christmas story, but John has a different perspective on the birth of Christ, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. But we all know, just before we get into that, we all know about those those gifts, those presents that as children you beg your parents for, right? How many of you ever begged your parents when you were a kid, begged your parents for a certain kind of gift? Raise your hand. Okay, good. We're in good co- company here. All of us are on the same page about really wanting something as a kid and asking your parents for it, you know, and so you might have gotten, you might have not gotten it, you know. My, uh, one, I, I can go back to my earliest recollection of begging my mom and my dad for a gift was I wanted the... Um, the GI Joe action figure that had it came with a parachute how many of you are old enough to remember that one nobody's old enough to remember that one yeah so this G.I. Joe action figure, you know, has this parachute, you wrap it, you know, you'd wrap it around. And so I got mesmerized by the commercial on TV because you watch the commercial and there's like these two or three kids, friends out there with their, with their brand new G.I. Joe. And they're so excited. They go out into their, into their driveway and they throw it up in the air, you know, and then there's a shot on the, on the, the G.I. Joe coming down and it's like floating down, you know, and in formation and all. You're like, wow, I need to have that. So I get mine on Christmas day and my brother and I, we, we go outside and we start throwing it up in the air, we follow all the instructions, you know, wrap the, the, the parachute just the right way and throw that thing up in the air and it just goes up and straight down, man. Parachute doesn't deploy at all, you know, and, and so we did that several different times. It still didn't work and finally we just said, forget this. This is not working let's just do the next best thing. So my brother and I, we put on my dad's web gear and we go out and we play war against each other, you know, like throwing sticks at each other and rocks at each other. And I actually tried to, on that day, I tried to, to create a, a like a makeshift. That's my little brother, my brother, Jerry, he's, who's now like 50 something. But, uh, back then, uh, I tried to, I, We tried to make a makeshift parachute and I was like, Trying to convince Jerry, hey Jerry, so we're gonna do this, and then you're gonna hold on until you're going to, you're gonna jump off the roof, you know. <laughs> and my mom, my mom intercepts. She goes, "What are you boys doing?" And I'm like, "Nothing." And then Jerry's like, "Ricky wants me to jump off the roof with this parachute, you know." So, so I think it would have worked, but we didn't do that. When I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, I walk. I remember walking through uh, this toy store in Panama called Felix Be and it's kind of a little uppity kind of story, you know, and they had this on display, the Mattel electronic football game. Remember, remember the electronic football game? Yep. And so I wanted that, man. We walked by, I'm like, mom, I'm, I you know, I was a teenager, I was 15 or something like that. You know, hey, mom, I want this. And she's like, she looked at the price and then she thought, I'm a single mom with five boys. No way. I'm not going to buy that, you know, so never got it. So do you remember? So do you remember asking your parents for her for gifts? Yeah? So, here, why don't we do this? A little exercise, just kind of get a little bit of involvement, okay? What was the gift? That if it's the gift that you really asked your parents for, you might have gotten, you might not have gotten it, but just here's what I want you to do. I just want you to turn to the person next to you and just say, hey, this is the one I really wanted when I was a kid, and I got it, or maybe I didn't get it. Just go ahead and do that right now. Just a little bit of com- community uh, talking here, all right? You remember that? Okay. Man, some of you some of you really asked your parents for a lot of gifts, you know. Some of you are spoiled brats because you got exactly what you wanted all the time, you know. That wasn't the case in my home. In my home, we my 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 mom and dad believed in practical gifts. It's probably why, how our kids feel, actually, because we do the same thing. We're like, socks? <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, in my home, the way it worked is that you, we got practical gifts all the time. You know, Christmas wasn't that big of a deal. Again, single mom, five kids, you know, you just didn't get a lot. And so, but you did, as a, as a kid, you know, there would be that. you know, once or twice in your lifetime at home, as a kid... You would get the gift, right? The gift. Like, like I, for me, you know, when I, I must've got my first bike when I was like three or four years old, my bicycle, you know, I, I couldn't reach the, f- the floor. So I, it had some training wheels on it, you know, and I rode that bike. I'm now 12 years old. I'm still riding that bike. You know, I'm like, my knees are knocking on the steering, on the, on the handlebars, you know, I, we've kind of, you know, the banana seat. So bu- we bought a banana seat and I kind of extended the seat out. And put some bars on the back so I can actually sit on this a little bit better, more comfortably, you know. And so this Christmas, I was 12 years old. Christmas, you know, uh, my mom unveils the only gift I was ever gonna receive that year like birthday, Christmas, all of them put together. That's what, that's what I got. And it was this, this right here. Remember that bike? The Schwinn Stingray. It was, mine was yellow too, by the way. My mom didn't love me very much. She bought me a yellow bike. And so I, she went to work one day, and I actually, a friend, of my, a friend of mine had some black spray paint. I'm like, hey, that's a good idea. So I got some black spray I the thing. I, I spray painted the whole thing black, you know. And she gets home, and she's like, what'd you do? I'm like, black. I like the black bike. And she's like, she was mad at me. But anyways, that, that was a cool bike. It had the most impractical shifting mechanism Around, you know, like I think all my accidents on that bike happened as I was trying to go from first to second to third gear because you're holding on to the handlebars and then you want to shift, you have to reach down to this middle and kind of do this. You know, it was just a, it's just a weird mechanism, you know, but it was cool. I got that bike and I'll be honest with you, I felt like I was evil Knievel. I was like, come on, jump. So I'll, I'll take any jump out there, you know. Anyways, we all had those gifts gifts that we desired, gifts that we wanted. Maybe you got it, maybe you didn't get it, but I think there's one gift that all of us can really relate to. It's that gift that's under the tree, that's impressively wrapped. It looks beautiful. As you walk in on Christmas Day, you see the gift there under the tree. It's got your name on it, and the expectations start building. Maybe as a kid, right? Is it what I asked for? Is it what I wanted? Is it what I've been longing for? Is it what I've been you know hinting? My daughter, by the way, is just she's the youngest. So she kind of got away with it, but uh, she, like, a like couple days after Christmas, she'll, she'll start post, putting a list on her door of all the stuff she wants. Like, she has this list, you know? And so she always, but, you know, you, like, so she would get, is this what I've been wanting? And then you un- pull the wrapping away, and it, what is excitement quickly turns to disappointment because it's, it's like socks and underwear, Right? <laughs> I mean, you need socks and underwear. I hope every one of you are wearing socks and underwear right now. But we all need that. But it's not necessarily what you're asking for. It's not what you're longing for, right? Oftentimes, it's your mom or your grandma that gets it for you. And sometimes they blame Santa, by the way. It's like, and then it's funny when you're trying to open up a box. If you're, and now as adults, and I look back at, I see that I recognize it. You know where. You're trying to open up this, you know it's socks and, and and they're excited about the gift. They're like ripping it apart and you know it's socks and underwear. So before they actually get to you, you're like, the parents are already going, now you, I got you the ones you really like. And they're trying to talk them into like, this is really good. You should, you should have it. You know, you really want this, right? And then you open up and sure enough, it's socks and underwear. Well, I think if we hit rewind and go back to the first Christmas, uh, I think it was a lot like that. Jesus is a gift that everyone needs. Jesus is the gift that everyone needs, but not everybody expected it. Kind of uh, kind of went largely unnoticed when Jesus came. The Bible tells us in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I mean, God gave his son. This is the most incredible gift in human history. And yet... Nobody even noticed that there was a gift under the tree. So why is that? Why well, was the most pivotal event in human history, like by and large, kind of missed? I think it's because it wasn't really what lo- they were looking for. Much like us. When we're opening up a gift, and it's not what we expected. It was an unexpected gift. That's really what the first Christmas story was like. In John chapter 1, John begins to tell us the Christmas story, but he begins from a very uh, different place than the other gospel writers do. Each gospel writer has his unique uh, approach on how he tells the story of Jesus. Matthew, for example, was writing primarily to Jews, to a Jewish audience. And so he writes uh, about Jesus as the coming Messiah. And so he, 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 he presents Jesus as the one who's fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies. And that's how Matthew approaches Basically, Jesus and the story of Jesus, a Christmas story. Matthew, Mark, on the other hand, is kind of an action-packed gospel. In fact, the word, if you go through, as you read through the book of Mark, you'll see that it says many times, "immediately, immediately." immediately. Mark just uses that over and over and over again. Um, Mark tells the story of Jesus. He kind of starts, basically, starts where he met Jesus for the first time, and that's where he starts telling the story about Jesus. And it's short, but it's action-packed. He focuses in on the power and the miracles of, of Christ. Luke is a physician, he's a doctor, and he writes the, the story of Jesus more from a historical standpoint. In fact, if you, if you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that he also is the author of the book of Acts. And so Luke and Acts are kind of a, a two-volume story about Jesus and the church If you read as you're reading through the Bible. But Luke tells more of a historical account. He, he, he pays special attention to details. He gives names, places, dates as part of the story of Jesus. You know, he talks about, you know, the inn. He talks about the manger. He talks about the shepherds out in the field, the stars, the magi. He talks about all these different things that are just specifics, right? And what you see in the Gospel of Luke is he tells a much more human story, right? He presents Jesus in human terms, That he came and he's identified with us as human beings. That's how Luke tells the story. But John, on the other hand, he kind of emphasizes the deity of Christ. John recognizes that Jesus is fully human, but he is also fully God. And so that's the perspective in which he, he tells the story of Jesus. And in particular, telling the Christmas story. Luke tells the Christmas story and he starts at the birth of Christ, first century A.D., John tells the Christmas story, but he starts at the very beginning of time, is how he starts it. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning, talking about the very beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He uses this word, Word, as kind of a reference to, to, to Jesus Christ. In the Greek language, the New Testament was written in Greek. In the Greek language, that word that he uses, Word, is the word logos. Logos and the basic definition of logos is this: the expression or declaration of a thought, so you can think of it this way that that what John is saying is that Jesus is the expression of God. Jesus is the declaration of God, probably a more strong word stronger word to use would be that Jesus is the manifestation of god that 's how John presents the Christmas story that the birth, yes, with all of its rusticness around you know the 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 manger scene and the inn and the travel and all that kind of stuff you need to understand that he is the manifestation of God here on earth that's basically how John starts the Christmas story right it's not just another prophet it's God in the flesh it's Emmanuel God with us the logos is the theos or the god is god right so John emphasizes the deity of Christ now if Jesus is the son of God coming to earth it seems like this should have been a really big deal, right? I mean, we know from our vantage point, 2,000 years removed, we look back and say, yes, it's a big deal. It was a history-shaping event. But it seems like for that moment, it should have been a really, really big deal. But it doesn't seem like the wrapping and how this gift came was very impressive, right? Seems like God... God should have paid attention to some details when you think about the Christmas story. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of God's gift-giving because I can, be, I can be a procrastinator too. I can be a late, last-minute shopper, Christmas shopper. I've been known to go into Casey's on December 24th, not for gas or for pizza. <laughs> Here's my wife looking at be like, you better not do that this year. <laughs> I mean, I think oftentimes, especially when you read through the Gospels, like of Luke, there's this, some of these, it's the greatest event in human history, and yet it just seems so rustic and so unplanned and just so random, it seems like. It just happened. It's so difficult. Just should have been better planned out. I don't know if you realize this, but the the very first prophecy about Jesus coming was in Genesis chapter 3 that he was going to come. So there's a lot of time in which this planning there was planning involved there was there was a there was forethought there was an idea that that one day a savior would be born who would rescue the entire world. And yet when you read the Christmas story it just seems like okay it doesn't seem to match up with in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right, really? I mean, if, if that was, then why Mary and Joseph? I mean, if there was anybody to choose, they basically, God chose the poorest person on the face of the earth, it seems like. They were so poor that when their son was born, when their son was born, there was, the Levitical law called for, the, you know, buying a sacrificial lamb, a lamb that would be sacrificed for the birth of your first, firstborn male child. They were so poor that they could not afford the sacrificial lamb. They had to buy two doves instead. It's kind of ironic that they, this couple could not buy a sacrificial lamb for the lamb of God, who was Jesus, right? And then, you know, and then, of course, the whole Christmas journey, right? When, when Mary and Joseph come from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, about a 150-mile trek, you know, we just assume that she rode a donkey because no nine-month pregnant or late-term pregnant woman would walk that distance, right? And then we just pretend that that donkey must have had a like cushion ride or something because what late-term pregnant woman would actually ride a donkey? <laughs> yeah, they'd kind of hurry up the, pregnant, you know, the delivery of the child. And then they get there and there's no room in the inn I mean, if God was planning this all ahead of time, he could have at least made a reservation. I mean, he's got connections as well. He could have bumped somebody and, you know, given them the presidential suite or something. But instead, they end up in a shed. And why the evil king at this time? Why not just take Herod out of the picture altogether? I mean, Herod's out there, he's, he's killing every child that's, uh, that's two years old or under because he's trying to make sure that this Messiah doesn't ever survive, made life difficult for Mary and Joseph. Seems like for such an event like this, God could have taken care of some of the details. But probably the most unexpected part of this is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It says, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. That's just another Greek way. The Greek word there is actually just another way of saying rags. She, she wrapped him in rags, not a royal blanket, and placed him in a manger. Again, that's kind of a sanitized version of saying a feeding trough. I, I'm not surprised that John leaves us out of his out of his John chapter one doesn't say anything about the manger or the cloths or anything like that. The, the 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 shepherds doesn't talk about that. I'm not surprised because John is actually focusing in on on a Greek audience, and he's trying to tell them that there's this God in heaven who has come and walked among us. And for the Greeks, that was it would have been really hard for them to comprehend that if he's God in heaven, why would he why would he be born to a poor peasant woman? Why would he be put in a feeding trough? This just doesn't even compute. Doesn't even make sense. He would have lost his audience immediately. Just in, in, in chapter 1. So is there a reason behind this? That's really what I want to talk about today. What I want to do is I want us to smell the manure in the stable. I think oftentimes we, we think of the Christmas story, and we have kind of this Norman Rockwell kind of vision of it, right? Like it's, like it's picturesque, you know? And we're so familiar with the story that we don't really ask questions like, why did that happen? why did it happen that way? And so I'd like us to kind of look at that. See, we expect the Christmas story to be a comfortable and trouble-free kind of story, right? That if, that if Mary was going to be giving birth to God's son, then there should be some kind of privilege that comes along with that, right? Like this pregnancy and this delivery should be, should be labor-free, There should be like some kind of divine epidural that allows her to have the son of God and she doesn't have to suffer at all because after all, this is, you know, this is the son of God. But I think what really what God is trying to communicate to us through this birth of the son is first of all, that God wanted to identify with our struggles. God wants to identify with our struggles. This is the unexpected gift of Christmas you see this story and you would think, well, certainly Jesus, the son of God, would be born to some kind of prominent family in Jerusalem and, and live up, live with some kind of privilege, but that's not, God could have made it happen that way. He could have, but he did not. Instead, he chose to have the son of God born to a poor peasant woman and live in hardship. I think what he was trying to do is help us, I help us to understand that God identifies with our struggle. There's a movie called The Devil Wears Prada. I actually started to watch it and then realized this is not my kind of movie, so I didn't really watch it through, okay, so I had to go back and read it. I I knew kind of basic storyline of The Devil devil, devil Wears Prada, but basically it's the story of this fashion magazine executive, her name is Miranda Priestley, and uh, she has grown up with a lot of privilege. She's grown up, you know, very wealthy. And then there's another character, Andy or Andrea, who comes along. She's a college grad, and she basically joins the firm, and she becomes Amanda Priestley's uh, second assistant, all right? She's worked hard for this position. She's worked hard to to land this job. This is what she wanted to do. And so she's there, but there's a problem. There's a disconnect between Andy and Miranda. Miranda just doesn't get Andy, she doesn't have compassion for Andy. She doesn't understand why Andy is late sometimes because she's struggling and there's you know, challenged. She doesn't understand why Andy would have relational struggles. You know, She just doesn't get all of that stuff. She's, there's such a disconnect between the two of them. She just doesn't relate. And I think sometimes, sometimes we can think that that's how God is with us. He just doesn't get me. He doesn't understand me. He doesn't know what I'm going through. I mean, especially around the Christmas season when, yeah, it's an exciting time, it's happy times when it comes to Christmas and gifts and all that, but it's also a time when people are reminded of a lot of things that they don't, they don't want to be reminded of, struggles and challenges that they're facing. And it's easy for us to think, well, God, you, don't, you really don't understand. You may not use those words, but it's easy for us to feel like God just doesn't get it, but yes, he does. And that's the unexpected gift of Christmas, is that he understands. Jesus says to you and me, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I know what it's like, and I understand poverty and financial struggle because I grew up poor. And so around the Christmas season, a lot of people get reminded of their financial struggles. And Jesus says, I know what that's like. I understand that. Jesus understands what it's like to struggle with family. Again, around the Christmas season, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are going to struggle with family? Yeah. You know, that uncle that you, <laughs> like, we have to invite him, but we don't really want to, <laughs> right? Or whatever. Uncle Eddie. Eddie basically lands for all of them, you know? All of us have an Uncle Eddie. But Jesus understands that. Early on in his ministry, his family just said, hey, what are you some are you like all that that all these crowds are following you? You're just a carpenter, you're just one of us. And they kind of basically disowned him early on in his ministry. Jesus understands betrayal. His closest companions turned their back on him. And so if you've been betrayed, he understands that. He understands injustice. He was treated unfairly. He was treated in a, in, wrongfully. He was abused, he was killed for things he did not do. And maybe you're here, and maybe you feel like you have been treated unfairly, and you've been abused. And you're not guilty in that. You're not guilty in that. You, you did nothing to deserve that, but that's how you feel. You need to understand that you have an advocate with our God, Jesus Christ. He understands exactly what you're, what you're going through. See, the beauty of the Christmas story is that Jesus Christ is God incarnate and he's fully attached and associated with our struggles. He is God, but he totally gets you. Hebrews 4.15 kind of reminds us of that, that Jesus it can sympathize with our weakness. But why, why is it that he sympathizes with our weakness? The answer to that is found in verse 16. It says this, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. In other words, the fact that Jesus understands us, he knows what we've gone through. He's, he, he, he's walked that path as well, gives us the confidence the confidence to come to him in prayer and say, God, I need you. God, I need help. And I'm struggling financially. I'm struggling with this relationship. I'm struggling with these ideas. I'm struggling, God. I'm struggling, God, and I need you. And we can approach the throne room of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think another thing we think about the Christmas story is that we expect the Christmas story to be a royal extravaganza, that somehow you know, God's gonna show up in this amazing royalty and power and you know we're just going to be blown away that this, this this Christ coming to earth is would basically shame any presidential inauguration out there and yet what God really wanted to show was that he wanted to set an example of humility for us to follow so even in his birth we learn that humility is a core virtue Jesus does it you know he doesn't stand up there and say hey be humble he actually shows us how to do it right see the surprising part of this story is not that that the the angels announced the birth of Christ I mean you would expect that of royalty that angels would announce the birth of Christ the surprising part is who they were who who the angels announced it to they announced it to shepherds like if there's an economic ladder shepherds were at the very bottom And that's who the angels announced the birth of Christ to. What's surprising part of this Christmas story is not the miraculous virgin birth. Again, he's God, he can do anything. That's not surprising. What's surprising is who he chose to be the vessel. An uneducated, unconnected, unknown little peasant girl by the name of Mary. That's the surprising part. See, God came into this world humbly as an example of how we should live. And in doing that, he basically turned the value system of this world upside down. It's not about a power and authority. It's about service through humility. And Jesus showed us the way on that. I think a great way to think about this is where Jesus was born, born in Bethlehem, There, it's about three miles from where Ancient King Herod, the, the ancient palace of King Herod existed. I have a picture of the of King Herod's palace. Um, it was a magnificent, magnificent piece of architecture. Uh, it stood ninety feet tall. You know, it was uh, it covered forty. The palace itself covered forty five acres of land. Now, where where Jesus, where, where, where Mary and Joseph were living at the time, they could have walked out to a hill, looked out in the distance, and seen that palace. Okay? Just three miles away. And so here's King Herod living in this, just ignore the Spanish text. That's all, for some reason, the picture I found was all in Spanish. But uh, here's King Herod living in this magnificent palace, and three miles away, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Son of God, is sleeping in a manger or a feeding trough the irony of that this is how paul puts it in philippians chapter 2 verse 5 this is out of the message it says think of yourselves the way christ jesus thought of himself he had equal status with god jesus had equal status with god but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to that to the advantages of that status no matter what not at all when the time came he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus didn't dictate how we should live. He showed us how we should live. I think That's an important message for us around the Christmas season. So I think sometimes um, Christmas can, with all the commercialism and all that, can become like it's all about gifts, presents. It's all about me and mine. Um, As a kid, you know, is my gift better than my brother's gift? You know, is it equal and all that? You know, we just go through that whole thing in Christmas. You know, and even as adults, we can do that, right? We just do it in a more discreet way. Like, like we'll we'll say, like I might say to my wife, "Hey, you know what?" you don't have to buy me anything for Christmas. You don't have to get me that QLED TV I saw at Best Buy the other day. You don't have to do that, right? (laughs) Actually, I read a survey this week that that two out of five men will buy, two out of five, okay, will buy a gift for their wife that's really meant for them. (laughs) Ladies, have you ever experienced that? Yeah? Guys, I don't want to, throw you i don't want to like blow your cover here but that xbox one x that you have under the tree with your wife's name on it we know the truth (laughs) we know the truth yeah ladies good luck at using it (laughs) jesus came to earth serving giving his life away as an example for how we should live another thing we that we expect out of the Christmas story, to, is that it's a demonstration of his supreme, uh, his supremacy, his power. And uh, really what God wanted to do is he wanted to make a statement of his incredible love for you and I. The sacrificial love that comes with giving your son away, right? I mean, we see that, right? We look at the circumstances of the Christmas story, they seem a little bit redneck, they seem a little bit... You know, half done, details not really worked out. And yet, what we see in this Christmas story is a declaration of God's love for you and me. The choices that He made through it, it's just overwhelming as you see sacrificial love being displayed over and over again, and particularly in that He's giving His Son away for you and I. When I think of sacrificial love, I think of my mother, for example, who was a mom, single mom, raising five boys. And uh, I mean, we, and you know, it'd be nice if we were like all angels, but we weren't, <laughs> you know, we made a lot of mistakes, did a lot of things we shouldn't have done, made my mother's life hard and she could have quit any time. But my mom decided that I need to stick in, stick in on this. And so she, she would work two jobs. She was a secretary at an oil and gas company. And then she'd get home from work, make food for those five boys and, and then asked me to give her a ride. To her second job, which was a working at a, at a doctor's office transcribing things into Spanish, and she'd be there till midnight. She did this for several years. So when I think about my mom, I do think about this idea of sacrificial love. There's a, a, a grandparents in our in our church right now who, um, you know, despite their age, decided to adopt their grandchild, and uh, and he's still young. <laughs> But they decided to adopt their grandchild just to basically give this child a, a chance in life and hope for the future. And, and that's an experience of and how we experience sacrificial love. I think of my brother and sister in law who sacrificed for the past 31 years caring for their, caring and nurturing their uh, son who has cerebral palsy. Sacrificial love. And this is really what Christmas is all about. This, this, yeah, There's a lot of presents and Christmas trees. You see, we put up Christmas trees and lights and all of that. But at the end of the day, it's a statement of God's love for you and I. That he's willing to give his son. It's God answering the question, how far will God go to show his love for you? And so, I'm going to ask us to stand as we Think about Christmas as we move into this series that we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. <clears throat> I hope you get the gifts you want. I hope that you could say on Christmas Day, This is the best gift ever. I hope you can do that. But I hope that there's a little bit of a pause before you get that gift. As you're tearing apart the wrappings, how beautifully they're wrapped and all that stuff, as you're tearing it apart, that you're reminded that there was a, a day 2,000 years ago when the best gift ever was given to you and to me. And in that gift, there is an identification with your struggle and your suffering. And you can whisper a prayer. You say, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this season, but I need you and God can hear you. In that gift there was a demonstration of how we should live our lives. It's not about a power and authority, it's about lovingly serving other people. In that gift we learn what it means to sacrifice for one another and to love one another. And that's my hope this Christmas season that we will learn that. And we will discover that as we're opening up the gifts that we are opening up this, this Christmas. Amen? Amen. I'm gonna pray with you and then Tony's we'll gonna lead us in worship. Father, I want to thank you, God. For the best gift ever, the gift of Jesus. Today, Father, as we worship you, as we lift up your name, Father, may we be reminded of how much you love us. And Father, we would not leave this place without basically surrendering our hearts to you, Jesus, completely. In Jesus' name. This is the Life Church Podcast.